0: Welcome to Squawk. My name is Luke. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Brian Nixon, and we missed him in the studio last week, but he is back with us, and we're grateful for that.
1: And Luke, it's great to be back with you, and as as we are talking right now, I'm looking out at it's beginning to snow, mm. and it's so nice to be back into a beautiful place. I was in Oklahoma City, which which is beautiful. I was there for a school legal conference, which sounds boring, and well, it kind of was. <laughs> But it's great to be back with you now.
0: Well, we are grateful you had traveling mercies on our back with us. And we are jumping back into what we've been looking at, which is basically cults and solutions. But as I've intimated in a few shows earlier, that we also may be considering worldviews. And this is really where we're going to start pivoting. We may come back to some other cultic mindsets mindset is really the entire reason why we dug into cults in the first place Mm -hmm. and how worldview is informed by this. So today we're going to be tackling a topic of atheism. And we're going to dig into a few of the tenets like we normally do. But before we do that, Brian, let's jump in and talk about what's happening in your college class this Tuesday. What are you going to be covering?
1: Well, just this last Tuesday, um, yesterday, we covered uh, up to post-reformation, into America. So we really just concluded with what was happening in Europe prior to, you know, the big shift, if you will, to America. So we looked at England, we looked at Germany, we looked at the Counter-Reformation and we also looked at what was happening within the Eastern Orthodox Church. Mm. So because once Protestantism is on the world map as it is now in this class, you're now dealing with Roman Catholic. Eastern Orthodox and Protestants, um, but of course, a big all, mix. that's right. All of those influence on certain levels what's happening in, in America. But what about you, Luke? How about your class?
0: Now, we covered the necessity of compassion on the part of the soul winner, and it was such a good call out because it dealt with, it's one thing to pray that people get saved. It's another mm-hmm. thing to care enough about people to take them the gospel. Right, And we really dug into that we're also considering the testimony of a young man. It's it's a fictional work, but it's based on real events in a film by Open Doors International, which listeners, if you're aware of Brother Andrew, the Bible smuggler who worked for Open Doors for many years and smuggled Bibles into a lot of different countries, we were viewing a part of a film called Behind the Sun, Yes, where a young man goes back to visit his mother and father in a very highly Islamic country and intends to share the gospel with them. And it's the story of his adventure in that process and what God begins to do in his life while he's in that country. So it's a very exciting film. And I wanted folks to realize in our class, what we expect missionaries to do is no different than what we need to be doing here. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we need to look at a different context to drive home the point Mm -hmm. of how much they value the faith and how much we ought to as well. Oh, boy, it sounds like a great class.
1: Well, Luke, I'm going to transition normally in our new uh, season. Uh, usually begin by giving tenets or facts or insights right. onto the worldview or cult. And as you've pointed out, atheism is not a cult per se, but it is definitely a worldview, how Absolutely. people view the world. So why don't we begin with some of these insights, these facts, these these little poignant um, elements Uh, about atheism as a worldview.
0: So as a worldview, it's very interesting. You find out, well, where's the worldview from and how many people hold this worldview? This is true. No nation has ever been founded as an atheist nation. Mm -hmm. It's never happened. Number two, history knows of no culture that has begun as or entirely embraced Mm -hmm. atheism. And I know that people's initial objections: are well, what about the communist regimes? Those were always parasitic to an originally existing organization, or in this case, a nation. Mm-hmm. Number three, as a worldview, atheism is internally inconsistent. It robs God. There's a book that's been written about this by Frank Turek, and he mentions how that the moral views within atheism are inconsistent with atheism, and they only arrive at those by taking from The Judeo-Christian worldview Mm -hmm. and scriptural understandings. Number four, atheism deliberately defaces rational science Mm. and changes it into something other than science. And number five, lastly, atheism cannot answer the big three questions. Doesn't mean they're not willing to provide information, but they cannot answer the questions of where did we come from, why are we here, and what happens next. Mm-hmm. Which are the big three, Brian, as you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, when we when we try to, all the other episodes, we have usually take over and start giving a history lesson. Well, I'm not going to do that today because atheism has always been part of the human condition. There's always been people in various cultures that do not believe in God. It goes back to the Greeks. You had the Greek philosophers who didn't believe in God. It was in the Romans. It was in Asian cultures. It was even in Hebrew cultures, you know, right. you know they, they dealt with people who don't believe in God. So rather than giving a history of atheism, which would take us, you know, <laughs> months because there's, it, it covers so many cultures, I thought I would allow the American Atheist Association give their main tenets of what they believe atheism is. Mm, very interesting. So it really gives their their understanding of who they are. And you could always go to the American Atheist website to read all the the details of this. I'm just going to give you their big bullet points. Number one, atheism is one thing, a lack of belief in any gods. So that makes sense. Ah means no, theism is God. So there's no God. So atheism is an affirmative belief that there is no God. And then they have in bold. To be clear, atheism is not a disbelief in gods or a denial of gods. It is a lack of belief in gods. Number two, atheism is not a belief system, nor is it a religion. So they want to buffer this by saying, Agnostic isn't just a weaker version of being an atheist. It answers a different question. Atheism is about what you believe. Agnosticism is about what you know. So they differentiate between what an atheist is and what an agnostic is. So that's their second major tenet. Third is not all non-religious people are atheists, but what they're the, the underscore there or the sub point is if you lack an active belief in God's, you are an atheist. So they say, they're, they're basically saying you may be an atheist and you just don't know it. That's what they're saying. And then the final major point they make in who they are is all atheists are different. And then their sub point would be atheists come in a variety of shapes, colors, beliefs, convictions, and backgrounds. We are as unique as our fingerprints. And then they they kind of preface all this by saying we have more than 230 affiliates and local partners nationwide and a broader community around the world. So what they're trying to say is atheism is live and well and it's growing. So Luke, with that as the background, with that as knowing what their major tenets, at least according to the American Atheist Association, why is it that you, Luke, are not an atheist? Why are you A theist, one who believes in God. Take it away.
0: At the most basic level, of course, I do not, as they would say, lack a belief in gods Mm -hmm. as a concept. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm tacitly confessing that I'm a polytheist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But this language in particular, Brian, I want to just say something about it, is something that's been a recent adoption. Because it used to be that they do not believe in gods, but then they were caught in the juxtaposition created by their own nomenclature that said, we don't believe in gods. I'm like, well, how do you, how do you say that it doesn't exist at the same time that you're acknowledging its existence by saying you don't believe in it? Mm -hmm. And so they're saying, well, now we're going to change the phrase. It's almost a distinction without a difference. We lack a belief in. In God's, Mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to both confirm and deny the object at the same time. Whether or not they've truly succeeded in doing that is another thing altogether. The reason why I am not, and I think everyone has their own particular journey toward God, but there's a biblical reason why I'm not, and then there's also a personal reason why I'm not. So really, my story would be about how did I come to believe that the Bible's the Word of God? And I think that having done that— The rest of the question is answered. Having recognized the Bible to be what it was and then believing what it says, the Bible assumes the existence of God. Mm -hmm. The Bible denigrates those who refuse to acknowledge God, and it also condemns those who not only don't acknowledge him, but intentionally try to suppress the truth that he's left in the world. And I know we touched on this on one of our previous podcasts, How Do I Know That God is Good?, or we talked about the objective witness that's out there. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't think that there's a way to conclude that there's not a God unless someone has come to you and forwarded that proposition. Mm-hmm. The natural state that I found myself in, even though I was growing up in the church, but when I was left to myself and I'm observing nature and I'm just enjoying what children generally enjoy, is that there was constantly an understanding that I wasn't alone in this world. Mm-hmm. And while I may not have recognized that very early on, it's instrumental in what led me to try to identify what that was all about. Right. And I had my choice to accept what was being told to me by the church and by my parents. And by the time I was in my teens, I had made that decision after struggling with quite a few Of the same questions that atheists would propose but i found that their their solutions seem to be more of an escape than rather an an analysis of what really is the state of man so i'll sum it up by saying this most atheists if not all are atheist materialists they're they're not necessarily reductionist but they are materialists and that means that they don't believe in the existence of the spiritual realm at all they deny the spiritual component And this to me, and the longer I've lived, the more I can't understand this. And that is, man is inherently a spiritual creature, and atheism just completely, for the most part, cuts that off. But my own life experiences outside of just being a Christian tell me that I am more than just neurons firing. I am more than just a carbon-based life form that randomly formed. I have spiritual consciousness. And now, as a Christian, of course, I interact with the Father of Spirits. And that's been confirmed. But even before that, there's a spiritual consciousness, and I see it in other people that don't even believe. So I would say that's the strongest argument, is that materialism is not everything of which the world is made. Mm-hmm.
1: Good, good. That, and that's, that's very important. And, and honestly, um, people who are pure materialists, they have a lot of explanations to do. And there is a lot of internal contradictions, as, as you've pointed out, because what we're doing right now is, in a way, a spiritual endeavor. Right. Our, our communication, our talking, language itself is a spiritual, doesn't have a physicality. It's a spiritual. Numbers, are, right. are they don't exist. I don't go pick a number three off a tree and say, look, Luke, I found a three. So they're, they're constructs. Um, that, that match reality. Um, so, so exactly. you, 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 good, good point.
0: And what about yourself, Brian? I mean, what answer would you give to that?
1: Well, why I'm a theist and not an atheist, I usually break down into five or six general principles that answer questions. So, I think theism answers the, this question better than atheism, and, and that is why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something right. being Existence rather than nothing, and theism, the belief in God, answers that so much more effectively and consistently, and logically. Agreed. Than atheism, as an example, a, a theist would say, "Well, there is a supreme being, A.K.A. God, a necessary being, a first cause who caused everything. Because there is a creation, there must be a creator." You know, Paul talks about that in in Romans, but the illogical understanding or what I think is the inconsistency of an atheist worldview, that nature has always been eternal and that it's self-creating. and Right, that's a big one. It, it leads to problems because the Big Bang, first of all, you know, science is showing there was a beginning. So then you'll talk to someone and say, okay, so how did the world begin? They go, well, in the beginning there was like electricity and it, it compressed and then it blew up and I go, oh, oh stop, stop. You've just described something. Mm-hmm. Tell me how nothing created something. Exactly. Well, okay, you're right. So there wasn't electricity. There were laws that governed the universe. And then they, those laws, by chance and chaos, just came together. I go, stop, stop, stop. Laws are something. They're metaphysical, they're beyond, they're beyond the physical. They're spiritual, if you will, but, but they're something. So tell me how the earth and the world was created without laws oh yeah you're right and then they keep going so they can't they can't go back and so then you do you know semantics of trying to say well the earth the big bang was really you know it imploded and then it exploded again but it's always been there but then you have the major major problem of where did space time come from that's something and if it's always eternal did it eternally make itself you you get the point we're, this isn't a philosophy class. This isn't a theology class. But I think theism answers the question better: Why is there something rather than nothing? Number two: Why is there life and not non-life? I think theism answers that question better than atheism. So Agreed. the the general you know line that we're taught in in school is that you know chance, evolution, and so on and so forth. Nowhere does it adequately explain. In the phylogenetic tree or anywhere else, and again, I taught science for many, many years in high school and junior high, nowhere in the phylogenetic tree or in, in an understanding of classical Darwinian evolution does it explain how non-life
0: became life. Exactly right. Because there really isn't a rational explanation for it. And Two, two things on that, Brian, they, and Darwin changed this multiple times mm-hmm. through his editions on Origin of the Species. That's the first thing. And then finally, the Miller-Urey experiments that tried to emulate mm-hmm. Darwin's proposed primordial pond have been proven abject failures. Right. And we're not just talking about the, the ones that were in the 50s and 60s. We're talking they redid those experiments right. with better materials. And they were even worse than the first ones to try to show or to emulate this life right. from non-life.
1: Yeah. And in the whole argument of, a, of evolution, you know, we've, we've addressed it on some of the podcasts in a smaller on a right. smaller level, but I think theism of a personal God who is alive and active imbuing or giving life to his creation is a better explanation than trying to say well how how did it happen?" You know, and I could be misquoting it him um but Stephen Jay Gould who was a brilliant scientist, brilliant scientist. And he realized that there was a major issue here. So he, he had always um, uh, coined the hopeful white monster. Just somewhere in time, this this creature just became. And it's like, wow, it takes more faith to believe that chance and all of these other things just happen to so create this hopeful white monster <laughs> as opposed to believing that there's a personal God you know, behind this fabric of the universe who was given life. But that's two. Number three, why is there consciousness versus unconsciousness? If there is life, why am I able to have consciousness to the level and to the effect that I have as opposed to other beings that are living? Right. And and as you pointed out at the top. This consciousness has connections to the spiritual realm. Why are we conscious of things that are beyond just the material? So consciousness is a very important thing. And and I've been to lectures where people have tried to explain it, and I've read books. I've read Daniel Dennett's book, and I went to a lecture by him. And I'll just tell you right now, I feel they're inadequate arguments. To to me, it makes more sense that a conscious God, you know, being— gave consciousness so we can have that consciousness of God. And of course, biblically, we're made in the image of God. And so we are part minds, part soul, and part body. And so our mind, our soul has that ability to, to communicate with God. Number four, I think there's really good rational arguments for God's existence. And I'm not going to get into them all today. Our listeners could you know, do a deep <laughs> dive. But the ontological argument, the argument yeah. from being, the cosmological argument, and then, of course, the moral argument. And there's other arguments out there, but those are the three strongest, and particularly the ontological argument. One of my mental heroes is a guy by the name of Kurt Gödel, and Gödel was an Austria-German logician and mathematician, and he never published it in his lifetime, but he did a logical argument for God's existence that recent German scientists have proven to be 100% accurate. So his argument is 100% accurate. Doesn't mean that there's God, but what it's saying is there is logical, rational reasons to believe in God. And then five, I would say, and you alluded to this, the historical evidence, the the historical evidence found in scripture, but specifically the historical evidence of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. You know, any way you you try to look at it, try to erase Christ from history, it just doesn't make sense. And for a long time during the Enlightenment, people were trying to say Christ never existed. And then Albert Schweitzer came and said, now, wait a minute. Let's look at this again and prove that, no, Christ had to have existed based upon the evidence and everything else we have. And that has led many evidentialists to say, well, there is sufficient enough evidence that in a court of law, we could say that Christ lived, died, and at least rose again from the standpoint of how the gospels were were done. One of my mentors, John Warwick Montgomery, has done extensive research in this, and others have really said, okay, in a court of law would this stand the the test, and they've they've shown that it would. And then finally, and you did say this specifically, is the reliability of the Bible. You know, the reliability of the Bible is another reason why I am a theist and not an atheist the bible over and over and over has demonstrated itself to be accurate to be reliable to be a great source of telling us that there is a god which then leads to the final conclusion for both you and i and for i think any theist is where you have an experience with the god of the bible yes and and it's not just a historical evidence. It's not just that there's great arguments. It's not just answering the big questions of life that we both pose. But it's that we have experienced, that we've we've invited the God of the universe into our life. And so it's not just a mental proposition. It's, it's a personal proposition. So those are some of the reasons why I am a theist and not an atheist. Or is there anything you would agree or disagree with, Luke?
0: No, I think those all stand very strongly, and I like the clear order because of listeners particularly needing to know this is not just an irrational replacement for something that we're afraid of. And this is one of the arguments that's often used by this worldview, is that Christianity is a crutch. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't know, I don't want to assume this on your part, but I do assume it generally. If atheism is true, if it were true, what legitimate reason would I have? For disagreeing with it, atheists will say that Christians have concocted their own fictional future, their own current purpose, based on a religious construct that's nothing more than a man's fancy. But I can honestly say that that has absolutely nothing to do with my motivations for doing it. Mm -hmm. Like, Christians are not lesser people that are motivated by fear who can't deal with reality. Mm -hmm. I have no reason to fear the idea that if this life was the only life that I have, that I just couldn't deal with that, right? I told my class the other night, I said, I don't think my life would really look a whole lot different, even if there wasn't a God. Mm -hmm. Because all of the things that you discover as a Christian about human virtue and human sinfulness, however you want to call it, deviant behavior, whatever the moral standard that gets put into place is, you derive more joy As an individual, you're more satisfied by living the type of life that God tells you is the best life to live than you do by the life that's proposed by atheists. And what's funny, and this is why atheists inevitably have to deal with moral questions, Mm -hmm. is, well, if you're an atheist, then why do you do X, Y, Z? Why are you a philanthropist? Why are you? And it's like they cannot escape what human beings inevitably need in order to be satisfied. Yeah. And, that, you know, their questions, as you pointed out so clearly, Brian, they do not have adequate questions to why it is particularly that human beings need these things. And right. it's, not, it's not even a cognitive need in that I had to construct it. It pours out of me. Right. It, and it's universal among human beings, which is why, you've heard the statement, man is incurably religious. Mm-hmm. He must have this interaction. It's not just something he does because he's afraid. He must have it it's existential, right?
1: Yeah. So true. And you know, I'll, I'll use, I'll, I'll borrow a phrase from another mentor of mine, Norman Geisler. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And the reason is, it's just simple. I look at creation, you know, as I pointed out the top of this podcast, looking out and seeing the snow, which has now ceased, but looking at these pine trees and Sandia mountains in the background. And just to sit and go, well, this just all happened by chance <laughs> um, over, over a billion year time frame. Just so happened everything happened. I, I don't have that type of faith because any logical person, any person with common sense right. knows that this watch on my wrist didn't just happen. That an automobile that I will jump into, in my case, a truck and drive home just didn't happen. Novels, the great works of the written world just didn't happen. So why can we think that something far more complex, aka the human mind, that created all these things I just said, why can we think the human mind just kind of happened? It's mind-boggling to me to sit there and go, huh, I just don't have that much faith. If, If it's blind, if it's chance, if it's just chaos, and it just so happened to happen... Uh, it's like the probabilities of this happening are astronomically out there. And, and both you and I know, Luke, because we have taken apologetics, we have studied this detail. There are probability statistics studies that show the possibility of evolution happening in accordance with classical Darwinian evolution. And it's it's crazy. It, it, it basically, it's, it's near impossible right. that, that, that this would happen.
0: And if I can point this out, because this puts something on display especially the issue of faith there are prophecies concerning jesus christ whose probability of fulfillment in any other venue are nearly impossible mm-hmm. but they happened as historical facts we've established that the atheists that are so willing to believe things that are beyond basically 2 to the 4 or 1 times 10 to the 40th power right that's mm-hmm. the that is the threshold for impossibility effectively in mathematics or physics wherever you want to take it, we're looking on sometimes that those improbabilities are in the hundreds of powers. Mm -hmm. And so it's not even a close thing. And yet they are more willing to believe that than something that is clearly of the same magnitude in scripture in the opposite direction of its actual fulfillment. Yeah. Not by chance. Like they're willing for chance to be the agent, but they are not willing for God to be the agent of the impossible. Right. Right. And they constantly seek to replace him with this construct of nature that has its own mind to do these
1: things. And this worldview lacks sufficient not only logical reasoning, but the evidence to back up its claims. So that's what I I love what Norm Geisler said. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It really is. You know, on the notion of classic Darwinian evolution, I always gave an analogy to my class. And again, this is very, very simplistic, very, very simplistic. And I know it's much more complex than what I'm saying, but let, let me just summarize it. I always had an imaginary fish and I called the fish Lucy. <laughs> and so I said, so oh, no. if we follow classic Darwinian evolution, you know, Lucy, uh, you know, things came out of the water. So we'll say there's a fish called Lucy. Well, what does Lucy need to get out of, out of there? Well, she would need legs. And so Lucy, legs aren't going to help her because she's not gonna be able to swim. So Lucy's gonna be eaten, but let's just give it the point that Lucy gets out of the water. So she, she has a, a, a mutation, she gets legs, and she's able, able to get out of the water. Well, Lucy's gonna die because Lucy doesn't have lungs. Hmm. And so Lucy gets out, she has the legs, but she gets out, she dies, and evolution stops. <laughs> but let's just say for the grand of the argument, okay, somehow she was given through some weird mutation, legs and lungs. Then what does Lucy do? Well, Lucy has to then go out and start walking around. The problem is, and I, this is where I fudge a little bit her lashes, AKA her eyes, her eyes are not fine tuned for, for the world out there. So Lucy's going to die very quickly because she's not adapted to this, this um, environment. So, Lucy, for the sake of the argument, let's say through some weird um, mutation, Lucy got legs, she got her lungs, she got her lashes her ability to see, then we still have another problem, her what, her brain. So, so the, you know, the brain, the brain is not conditioned to think properly or to interact with its new environment. And these are just four components. There are so many. And then I go on to lover, you know, so how is,
0: you could use the word logos.
1: Yeah. Logos. So her logos, (laughs) her lumbar brain, something. But then, then after that, so how's she going to perpetuate her species? She needs a lover. So you get the point. I used L's to just show. And again, I know this is a simplistic. I know it's much more complex. But just to give our listeners and my students just the basic understanding of problems inherent in the classical Darwinian evolution thing. Lucy needs legs. She needs lungs. She needs lashes. She needs her lumbar, her, her brain. She needs her, a lover to continue on, spread her species. And all of these pose major problems to what we would call classical evolutionists. But that's neither here nor there. I just still believe that why I'm a theist and not an atheist is that theism provides better explanation and better answers than atheism does. And that's where I stand.
0: I completely agree. And this is this is one of the things that, of course, it's difficult to ascribe this to people who are scientists, but because of the spiritual element which they so often deny, it makes them desperately biased to where, as we discovered, not all Christians accept creationism as we have often articulated it here on the show. But every atheist must. There's not another explanation, Mm -hmm. even if you try to seed another agent in. Mm -hmm. And so There's a desperation that if they deny evolution, suddenly they don't have a. There's not a third way. It's either creation or it's something to do with an origin story that has no laws of physics or any type of evidence for it. And so as a result of that, don't be too quick to swallow all that the scientific community currently puts out there, because there is a driving desperation behind that to justify a worldview that does not include God. Mm Mm-hmm. So that being said, obviously with the show being as short as it is, there are many more things that we could have covered on this, and it is a study that's worthy of your attention to find out exactly where the where the tensions are, not just in the atheist worldview, but why the Christian view, the worldview is superior. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't mean everybody who articulates it is better at doing it. But there are clear answers that are universal that have been articulated by many, many people, many witnesses.
1: And and Luke, before we sign off, let me just give the L that didn't come to my brain. It's lobes. You know, the (laughs) the part of the brains. So I used to teach this in my class and go, oh, the other L. Uh, So it was always it was always legs, you had to get out of the water. And then it was, secondly, lungs, then your lashes, your eyes, and then your lobe, and then your lover. (laughs) It was the lobes that I—I know I have the L. So lobes. I
0: apologize, Luke. No no worries. Well, as stated, there's much more to find out about that. Many good books that have written to confront this. A couple of authors we've mentioned today, Turek as well as Geisler. There's also some things where cases have been made forensically for this. So don't limit yourself— to what you might find out from Bill Nye the Science Guy, right. this is something that's much broader.
1: Yeah, and let me just throw out for our listeners: um, I think you know Cambridge-trained uh, uh, Stephen uh, Stephen Meyer Meyer is a great person to go to. William Dembski, who is a mathematician, is another great person to go to. And these are highly trained scientists who have really delved into. Atheism. Stephen Meyer has recently wrote a book on atheism, but he's also a highly trained scientist. So I would encourage our listeners to go and check out Stephen Meyer.
0: Absolutely. So definitely appreciate everything you've contributed, Brian, and always, of course, appreciate my this kinds of conversation. But well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up and move to our next episode, which is going to dig back into other worldviews. And definitely appreciate your time and patience in listening to us again. My name's Luke. You've been listening to Squawk, and until next time, God bless.